growth and like engagement is important in that it like feels good. But ultimately what matters is like our ability to connect with our best fit client. Hello and welcome to the Money Makers podcast. I'm Ray Dodds and I help people like you unravel your conditioning and master the skill of money making. So much of traditional business coaching leaves the blame for what's not working in your business, where you're not making money solely at your feet. But I don't believe that any of this stuff happens in a vacuum. So join me, listen to this podcast, listen to all the episodes of the podcast where we will be moment by moment unraveling that conditioning and freeing you up to earn money in ways that work for you. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is the wonderful Lauren Elizabeth. I'm so excited. You're only our third US guest, you know, on the podcast. Oh, I know. Cool. Feel very, yeah, very special. Um, <laughs> so that's not on purpose, by the way. That's not been some kind of like anti-American agenda that I'm having. It's just that I've interviewed a lot of UK I mean. people. <laughs> fair um so lauren describes herself as a radical courage coach and a feminist business mentor which i love i love a good job title and i really love her approach to content and business and we've been following each other on instagram for a little while and so i was like hey do you want to be on my podcast and i love one of the reasons i love having a podcast is because i get to chat to people that i otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to and we get to make a bit of content out of it as well which is delightful so welcome to money makers do you want to um, tell us a bit about who you are and how you ended up doing what you do. Yeah, yeah. Happy to share. Thank you for having me. Thanks for inviting another American on the show. <laughs> Although, you know, <laughs> it's been a hot mess over here for a while, so I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, don't worry, um, we've also, been a hot mess longer. <laughs> also fair. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I also just appreciate your love on my job title. It only took me like 10 years to land there. So yeah, I live on the West Coast of the United States in unceded traditional lands of the Kalapuya and Malala people, otherwise known as like the Portland metro area in Oregon. And I have been, yeah, kind of on a mission to like shake things up for most of my life. I was undiagnosed with ADHD and like recently have been navigating that and have always kind of had a pretty strong feminist approach to the way Mm. that I move in the world. And yeah, like pretty quickly realized that the sort of like standard nine to five wasn't really an option for me. I'm a great employee. And also I like have a really hard time just like rolling with what the boss tells me to do because I think in my heart like yeah I'm the boss yeah I'm (laughs) laughing because I get it yeah I have an Aquarius son and and my north node is an Aquarius so we're like definitely have a vision and kind of want to roll with that yeah let's see so when I first got into coaching I was helping women bring their businesses and their lives into alignment with their personal cycles and with the moon cycles Mm -hmm. And it was like a pretty spiritual practice that I had. Yeah. Um, And I noticed very quickly, like as I started to build the business side of things, that there was a lot of shady stuff Mm. going on in the spiritual coaching spaces. And I also noticed how easy it was for me to fall into those patterns. Oh yeah. Um, and how it just like was, yeah, business as usual to like use sleazy marketing practices mm. and to yeah, charge your worth. And I know you've talked about that. And it was just like I, <laughs> I could I have a background in like feminist ethics. And it was like so interesting how quickly I was able to kind of like drop all of my mm. like ethical integrity centered perspectives because like it was just the way that everyone was doing it in the industry and I didn't like it like it didn't feel good it felt very hard for me to be my real self I felt Mm. like I had to put on this whole like soft-spoken sweet yeah sing-song voice and like that's just not me. Like there's nothing wrong with having a soft, soft spoken voice. Um, That's just not who I am. 
And so I had to kind of figure out, this was like back in 2015, 2016. And so I started to like look at these patterns and I noticed that a lot of my clients were kind of struggling with the same thing of like, I want to build a business and have a life that actually serves me, that feels mm. good, that I like. Yeah. Um, but instead I'm feeling like all of this pressure to behave in certain ways and to be a good girl and mm. to be a good wife and to like, yeah, not make too much money, but like also, you know, like make enough money that this isn't some hobby on the side, just, you know, yeah. was, there's just like a lot of, a lot of narratives. And I think mm. specifically women and really anyone who's outside the cishet white male, mm-hmm. rich, educated, landowning. Any of us who live outside of that norm are like very much told how we're supposed to be. Yeah. And I was noticing in myself and in my clients how much those supposed tos and how much those shoulds were keeping us from being our like full, mm. just like brilliant selves. And really started to unpack that for myself in 2017 and 2018. And then at the end of 2018 and 2019, I really shifted to focus on business owners who want to bring their political values and a sense of pleasure into their work. Because I think we need both, right? We can be one of the things I noticed in like my sort of like dabbling in political activism is like how quickly we get drained. Yeah. And how quickly, like, it's like such a fast path to burnout. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that, right, like in this sort of like pleasure seeking hedonist realm, it's very easy to become so detached from Mm -hmm. the world that we live in and like the realities of living in a dumpster fire. And (laughs) (laughs) and so I thought like, okay, like I'm really passionate about business. I think that there is this really powerful culture building side of business. Mm. I think that the way that we do business impacts the economy and the economy impacts Mm. the culture and the content Mm. we create, like shapes the world that we live in. So I knew that business was the center of like what I wanted to be Mm. really focusing on. And it was very clear also that like there needed to be a feminist side of things. Like I wanted to be taking this, doing this work with a feminist approach. And at the same time, like figuring out how pleasure and joy fits into that. Mm. Because I think, you know, like, yeah, there's just, it's so easy to slip into like numbing and slip yeah. into, or just slip into like, yeah, the things that are supposed to feel good or the mm. things that we're supposed to find pleasure in rather than like actually doing the things that feel good for ourselves for the sake of feeling good. Yeah. So anyways, that was like a very like spirally oh, answer. I but... loved it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. There's so many like bits I could pull of that. I think it's so interesting. I talk a lot about how, you know, you talk about our desires and I think they really fit in like like in terms of pleasure. But also if we look at it in terms of how much money do you want to make? What kind of business do you want to run? How do you want to be known and seen and all of those things? And I think it's really like interesting how disconnected a lot of us are from our desires. Like for so many reasons. I just love that your balance there of what you're looking at. I love that you're looking at both of those things at once. And I don't think we see that very much in other people's businesses. Like I don't hear many people talking about both of, I hear people talking about one or the other frequently. I don't hear about that much. So how, here's my question. How does that show up? Because you talk a lot about writing content, right? In, In what you do. How does that show up in your content? Like, how do you balance those two things in how you show Mm. up online? So it really, you know, I will say like, I have been a pendulum, right? Like when I started, Mm. I was like all about like building businesses and lives that feel good. And, you know, there wasn't like a lot of like a political or like even sort of like values or integrity based Mm. business stuff going Mm. on. And then I swung really hard to the other side and like, pretty much burnt myself out trying to be like the best white activist business owner in the world. We, I'm sure a lot of us have been there. So I think what it comes for, for me, like as a, in, in addition to talking about these things and like just bringing them to the surface, because I think sometimes like 
that's really what needs to happen is like, we just need to like elevate these topics a little bit so that it's like Mm. on the people's minds. So that's one piece of it. The other piece for me, I think is really behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, And like, and like, obviously like supporting my clients in like creating their own behind the scenes, pleasure, politics, practice. But for me, it's like, okay, when I'm like, I guess the example that comes up. So I'm like really focused on content right now. I'm a bit of a multi-passionate and with like a little ADHD brain, I like tend to pop around to these different pieces of business that are inspiring me and that feel really important for my clients. Mm. But like, for example, I think one of the things I hear over and over again from people is like, I don't know how to stay consistent with my content. Right. And so one of the things that I, one of the conversations that I have often with my clients is like, okay, well, this idea of consistency is like culturally rooted in capitalism mm-hmm. and hyper productivity. And so like, let's reframe what consistency means for us. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who like loves her work and like doesn't have children and like has a lot of time to pour into her business, like I can't create content every day. Mm. Um, And that works for me, but I think for other people, right. It's looking at like, what does consistency look like for you? Yeah. And like taking this approach of like, oh yeah, patriarchy says we should always be doing capitalism says we should always be producing. And like, if we deprogram from that a little bit to the extent that we can, like, what does consistently, what is like creating consistent content or showing up consistently Mm. in your business? What does that look like for you? Yeah. And how do we make it pleasurable? Right? Yeah. Like, is it because if it's a slog, like if it's just like oh, this thing that we yeah. hate doing, that's not a sustainable practice. No, no. So absolutely not. I talk. Yeah. So I talk a lot about like if we're going to make these big bold statements in our mm-hmm. content, we also have to be pouring into ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that's where the pleasure piece comes in. So for yeah. me, it's like okay got my favorite playlist, got my candle, got my, you know, like I love to drink. I don't know why it's just like such a funny thing, but like, I love to drink like bubbly water out of like a wine glass. It feels nice. (laughs) And so it's like, where are like the little pieces of pleasure that I can bring in so that it doesn't feel like a chore? Yeah. I always wear a nice dress every day. That's part of that for me. And I, I can't tell you how much I smell so good, all of you. And no one knows. I'm saying this to someone. I wear perfume every day and sit in my office and go, I smell so damn good. And I think that's one of the things that I do. That's like, I know even when I remember when the pandemic was happening and everyone was going, oh, I haven't worn makeup for ages and I haven't dressed. And I was like, I have. I always get dressed to come down to my office in my house and no one really gets to see how great I smell and look. (laughs) I think it's funny, you know, I used to be way into makeup and then for about a decade, I didn't wear any. And at the beginning of pandemic, I was like kind of in a similar thing, like, like just a little backstory. My husband and I had been traveling for like five and a half months and we Mm. got back into the United States on March 17th. Oh, wow. That was like when our flight was scheduled to come back. Right. And we actually ended up living with my parents for five mm. months because oh. we were like in between houses and it was just like, so I was like living with my parents in pajamas, like makeup was like the only sense yeah. of like fancy and pleasure and joy that I could like really like cling to. So I like went to the makeup store here in the US Ulta and like just spent like probably like too much money on makeup. But it's not that saying. Right. Putting a little like color on my lips and like taking 20 minutes before I start my day to like put Mm -hmm. some makeup on, like feels good for me. Yeah. Like that's, I love that you brought that up of like just a little bit of like, yeah. Yeah. It's like beautification, but not like, I don't even like that language, but like things that make us feel good, things that make us feel like beautiful and full of pleasure. Like those are the things that we get to do for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think like for me, I don't do a load of makeup stuff that makes my face look any particularly that different. I'll look a bit more tired without it on, but it's really about spending time with my face when for a lot of my 
years I hated this face I hated this body and I'm I'm actually like I I really get annoyed when people are like at like makeup's anti-feminist because for me it's just sad that men don't get to do it so freely like of course they do get to do it but like that they have to jump through so many hoops because it's just like it's just a joyful thing to do it doesn't have to be a self-loathing thing at all and I kind of hate that narrative so there's something I wanted to ask you because I'm intrigued by whether or not this is a UK thing that's going on or if this is all over the place there's been a lot of talk amongst the people in my timeline and I don't think I've seen you mention it but about Instagram being off at the moment and people's reaches being down and I wondered if that's something that your clients or you are noticing at the moment as well, that it's going through a bit of a, a lot of people are going through a bit of an identity crisis. Is that something you've noticed? I would say yes. And I sort of have, I have like an interesting perspective on this. Like I, I thought you I would. Think that like, <laughs> I think that right now, like with reels and mm-hmm. like with, with like the way that people have gone viral over the last two years Hmm. because of pandemic and because of like really these social media platforms pushing these like new like modalities of creation Hmm. on their platforms. I think that they're, that it's also skewing our, Hmm. our perspective because we're watching people go from like 3000 followers to 250,000 followers. Yeah. Um, we're looking at people, you know, one of our reels goes viral and like, you know, 30,000 people sees it. And then like the other reels, like only 2000 people. And so it feels like mm. it's, it feels like it's like not as the reach isn't as big yeah. as it is. And I would say that like, I would say that I've noticed like a decrease overall in engagement and also like I am not like obsessed with growth in my Instagram. Like I'm not trying to like, I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been like hovering just below 3000 followers for like a year. (laughs) And part of me is like, come on. Like I just want to get to 3000 followers. And the other part of me is like, those like 60 people like aren't going to make or break my business yeah 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 but it's there's something annoying isn't there I always say I'd rather be in the low numbers of something than the high like just not quite getting to that next round number there's something like I just yeah I'm with you I'm with you I get that um something that I often tell my clients and that I have to remember for myself as well is that like growth and like engagement is important in that it like feels good Mm. but ultimately what matters is like our ability to connect with our best fit clients. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we're doing that, right, if we're connecting with our best fit clients, then like that's the strategy is still working. It might not Mm. be the like expansive explosion that we wanted or that we expected, but I think, you know, one of the things I talk about and I'm like, you know, in the middle of an enrollment for a like content centered container. Mm. And so one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is how like, yeah, we don't, we don't need to put all the pressure on every single piece of content that we put out. Like I think we need to be zooming back a little bit and looking at the big picture rather than like, oh, this particular post only got like 15 likes Mm. and like, why isn't it doing as well? And it's like, we, I really am like a fan of zooming out when it comes to particular social media platforms. But yeah, I would say that like TikTok has impacted the sort of like engagement on Instagram. Yeah. I think it's interesting though, because I was hanging out on um, TikTok quite a lot for a bit, came off it a few weekends ago for, it doesn't matter why, but I just was sapping all my energy and there was like, there's so much drama on TikTok and it's not like, interesting. and it's very different. Like on Instagram, if there's some kind of drama happening, you can just like block or unfollow something but on TikTok people respond a lot to the drama and everyone's got their opinion on the drama and so Mm. your my for you page was just absolutely full of this stuff and I was just like I can't I can't deal with this this is doing my head in but before I left there I noticed that they're all complaining about the algorithm changing they're all complaining about how different it is and I thought it was really interesting to see that like wherever whatever platform you're on 
it's going to change. Things are going to happen. And it was interesting to hear the very same complaints. Whereas on Instagram, it's often like, oh, TikTok's much better. And this is happening here. And people were, but people are complaining there all the time. What you said about reaching your best fit clients, what are your kind of tips for, because I know that you were talking a while ago, you were talking about how you don't believe in niches. And I really loved this, what you were saying about it. Actually, can you tell us a bit more about that first? And then we'll move on to some other questions about how we kind of get to those ideal clients yeah Yeah. if you explain a bit about your philosophy on niching yeah so I think my issue with niching isn't like having a specific set of people that you are most equipped to support Mm. Um, I think my issue with niching comes from a lot of the sort of like bro marketing celebrity coaching world where it's like so much about extraction. And I read a like description of niching that just like did it in for me, which was like, find the most profitable problem that you can solve. Jesus, And I was just like, (laughs) and I was like, see, that's the thing. Like, I'm not trying, like, yes, I'm a business owner. Yes. I want to make money. Like I'm on the money makers podcast right now. Like I want to be making money. And I don't want to be maximizing my profit by exploiting someone else's pain. No. And oh, do you know my first thought of that as well is imagine the imposter syndrome. (laughs) Like I would, if I wasn't thinking about how I was going to speak to my ideal clients from a place of how can I serve them best? If that, if I was just looking at what is the most profitable thing, I would be crawling out of my skin with imposter syndrome because I'd know that I can't, that that isn't what I can actually help them with. Do you know, like, oh, that's horrible. And I think too, like, you know, the pressure to like find this like teeny yes. tiny little yes. and like, and like often the, the sort of like container for a niche is focused specifically on the problem mm. and a, p- a person's identity markers, right? So it's yes. like, I help single moms yeah. launch 100K businesses. Yeah. Even, you know, and it's like, okay, that's awesome. I'm all about like single mothers having all the financial freedom that they yeah. desire. And like, is it just single moms that you can help? And like, does it have to be six figures? Yeah. Right? Like what if the vision is just like women who want financial security? Yeah. Right. Instead of leveraging that pain, instead of like, I always think of it as like rubbing salt or lime in a wound, right. Mm. Instead of like making it worse, yeah. which like as coaches, we're just creating more work for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but instead of doing that, what if we lead with vision? What if we talk Mm. about what is possible? What if we focus on the desires Mm. and then like, yeah, like still acknowledge, like I'm not opposed to like talking about objections. I'm not opposed to talking about like the pain points. I think those things are still important to address, but I don't think we need to lead with them. No, I don't think that that needs to be the center of our work. And so to bring that back to niching, I think what the sort of my approach is to figure out, like, I believe that every single person has a like unique brilliance that they bring. And so like, instead of focusing on like the problem out there Mm. that is the most profitable, like Mm. let's figure out like what you are uniquely positioned to bring into the world. Yeah. And who like the kind of person that can is, is, can be most benefited by Mm. that work and Mm. by that brilliance. Yeah. And so, it's like really just like flipping it on its head. It's the same idea, but yes, I just don't love the sort of cultural narrative that has been built around niching down. And yeah. I just like, like to disrupt that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, I've often said like, you are your best niche. So like you show up and, and you show up with you as you, with your own political thoughts and your own opinions and your own, like just your own sense of humor and way of being and you will attract, like, I'm not saying that's all of it, because obviously, it's important to get kind of an idea of where you're going. But actually, you can pick, for example, single mums wanting to get to six figures, but you're not going to be wanting to work with every single single mum, just like you don't want to be friends with every single single mum, not because they're not, not because they're single mums, and that's a problem, but because like they're humans, and none of us like everybody. That's not just me, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm always like, do I just not like a lot of people? <laughs> that is true. But like, it's like, you know, treating these people like they're a monolith of like all single mums are the same, all black women are the same, all white women are the same. And of course, like, we're not, we're going to be attracted to different things. And I think that's why I love your approach to stuff because it's so much about like being like, really speaking up as as who you are and showing people that. And I think the other side of niching, like this, like niching down is that it like, then there's like all this pressure to be on brand. Yeah. Right. And I think that like branding is valuable. Like, obviously I, I like, I think that it's important to have like sort of a signature that you bring to the table. And like, again, I don't want my brand to be about leveraging someone's pain. And I don't want to have to change who I am and how I talk and how I show up in order to be on brand. Yeah. 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 Like doesn't make sense to me. No. And I think if you're then hiding parts of yourself in order to be on brand, they're only going to get on a call with you and be like, huh. I didn't know about this. This doesn't seem because maybe that's just me. I also have um, undiagnosed probable ADHD. And so I know part of that is that I can't, I overshare and can't keep certain parts of myself back for sure. I find that very hard and very uncomfortable, but I know that if I didn't show people who I am, they'd get on a call and be like, Oh God, like what is she doing? They they absolutely would. That happened to me in the beginning of my business. (laughs) I used to get on lives and I would talk like this. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong if that's the way that you yeah. talk, but that's not the way that I talk. Obviously you're like listening to me on this podcast. Like you, I, I talk fast. I talk, you can't tell, I don't know if you can see me, but I talk with my hands, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm very animated. And mm. so when I was on these lives on, on back on, you know, when it was all about Facebook groups and I would talk with such a sweet, soft voice and so slowly, and then people would get on coaching calls with me and I'm like, like throw yeah. my hands around. They're like, whoa, like, this is not what I signed up for. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Like, oh yeah. Like, and I think too, one of the things that, you know, as women that we do in this world, as neurodivergent folks, as like with all of the sort of divergent identities that many of us have, Mm. we learn to mask. Yeah. And it feels normal to like pretend to be something that we're not. Yeah. And like that for me, like that's where the courage piece comes in, right? Mm. That's where like, not only are we talking about building a feminist business and like, that's what I want to ultimately help my clients achieve. But in order to get there, like we got to be brave enough and courageous enough to actually be ourselves and to sort of ditch all of the programming and all of the shoulds and all of the Mm. cultural norms about what you're supposed to be as a business owner in the culture that we live in. This is a, probably a really big question. How do we do that? <laughs> so, just a tiny question, but how do we? Yeah, yeah. How do we do that? It's a long process, yeah. you know. And it's like interesting. I'm in this my own like moment right now in my business of realizing that like there are certain things that can be short containers, but mm. for the most part, like I'm a long form and the work that we're doing is long form. You know, I have a year long feminist business mentorship and that's where I see the most change mm. because it takes time. So to answer the question, how do we do it? Like there's a lot of self-awareness, right? Like I think that like slowing down is like step mm. number one, learning to observe our thoughts, catching ourselves in the shoulds, catching ourselves in the shame. Yeah. And like just noticing where that starts. And yeah, you know, I think for me, like for a long time, it was very intellectual. Like I could just be like, oh, that's the patriarchy or like, oh, that's capitalism or whatever. Like that's white supremacist, like my white supremacist conditioning showing Mm. up. And it was very like in just in my brain. But I think really what it takes is like a sort of embodied approach to this work of like noticing a should and then like taking some time to like sense it like where is it coming from in my body like where is that coming from in my memories like yeah where who who told me that story Mm. and you know like I would say like therapy is a great place you know like to kind of start doing this work having a coach who has a feminist or a sort of decolonial lens is 
super helpful to kind of Mm. catch us in these stories that we tell ourselves. But I would say just like any sort of like deep rooted change that we are calling into our lives, there is a like day by day, moment by moment recommitment Mm. to the decision. Yeah. I love that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And like really just every single day saying like, yep, I want to deprogram from this shit. Like, yep, Mm. I want to feel good. And I'm willing to get it wrong if I have to today. Yeah. I'm willing to like make a mistake. I'm willing to invite my friends, my partner, my, you know, the people in my life to call me out of my bullshit Mm. and to like take that with a little bit of grace. And like, yeah, I think it's it's kind of cheesy, but like it really is about feeling all the feels and mm-hmm. like not pushing the shame out before we've had a, t- a moment to understand where it's coming from. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest, and it's not just a bro marketing thing, like it's steeped in patriarchal stuff and, and all sorts of things, but that whole like push through thing, I think sometimes we have a real visceral feeling that what we're about to do in our marketing and our messaging and our business generally is not okay but because we've been told to push through fear we read it as fear and just push when actually that visceral feeling you're feeling is like it's your instincts it's your gut being like no this is not how you want to do stuff and I just think that's one of the things to like you say like just just slow down take it a bit more slowly actually like notice when you're feeling resistance and don't just chalk that up to fear because it might be, and it might be something you need to kind of, I sort of talk about walking alongside fear rather than just pushing through it, but you might need to walk alongside it, but you might need to actually change course. You might, it might be that your be, your gut is telling you something really important. Totally. And I think too, like in addition to like just slowing down, which is just like something all of us can benefit yeah. from. And like the whole, when one of us slows down, I feel like everyone in our lives benefits because we're modeling that for other people. Mm. We're more observant. So in addition to slowing down, I would say the other side of this, like getting free from patriarchy and capitalism <laughs> um, is like really learning to hold nuance, like mm. learning to sit with the both and, yeah. right? Like I kind of what you just said, like I can have fear yeah, and I can also like still do the thing that feels scary, yeah, right? And so there's like that both and there. And also, right? Mm. My, my friends always joke, like I always have an and also, but like, so we can have fear and we can, choose to like walk with fear. And sometimes we have to slow down even further and discern like, okay, what is this fear telling me? Mm. Right. It's like, again, it's just the slowing down and holding nuance and then like slowing down even more and like Mm. seeing where there's nuance. And like, you know, this conversation was happening a lot in anti-racist spaces of like, Mm. how do you be anti-racist? Like, it's not a, it's not a box that we check. It's like a decision and a practice every day. And the same thing can be said for deprogramming, deprogramming from patriarchy from like unplugging from capitalism. Yeah. Right. It's like, we're all living in that culture. And so it's like constantly being reprogrammed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, And so it's not like we can just say like, I am no longer (laughs) impacted by the patriarchy. It just doesn't work that way. You know, I've been unplugging from this stuff for like most of the last decade and Mm. I still find myself in the same patterns. But I think the difference from like a decade of work and a lot of support is like now I catch myself. Yeah. And before I like spend you know, six months <laughs> shaming myself yeah. on something, I can like yeah. get out of it much more quickly. And I think that's the goal, right? The yeah. goal isn't to like dissolve. I mean, the goal is to dissolve patriarchy, yeah. right? Not on my own. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the goal is just to be able to like catch myself and then like more quickly get back to what I'm here to do rather than like playing into the the shoulds and the supposed tos and the like rules yeah. of the culture that we live in and it's so interesting you say that because that's essentially like if I could like boil down what I do to like it's it's like smallest form that's it it's and it's not really small at all it's huge but it's this thing where I think for so 
much of the so many of the people who talk about money they're talking about it as if it's our fault we feel a certain way and for me it's like I can like I should play a game one time where someone tells me their supposed money block and I link it to patriarchy white supremacy or like any of the other things like forms of oppression that come in because I can always link it to something and and not just in a like oh like frivolously like genuinely link it and I think that's the thing is that we spend so much time shaming ourselves for not being able to be consistent not making enough money not running the business we want to whatever it is and we get caught up in that rather than going huh of course I feel like that I've been programmed to feel like that from the day I was born and actually that's not my fault and so I can act in a different way or I can do the thing I want to do and it doesn't mean you're always going to choose the opposite thing but it's so useful to take that shame away because shame it doesn't motivate us ever yeah and just as you were saying that I was thinking like the like productivity or the making money it's also true on the other side right like on days when I'm like I need to rest and I just lay on the couch I feel like such a lazy useless human yeah um but I had this realization that like the days where I'm like laying on the couch, like watching Netflix, eating chocolate chips are like just as generative as the days that I sit down on my computer and like mark things off my task, like my yeah. task list. Yeah. But the thing that I always say about like perfectionism in a patriarchal capitalist culture is that it's like such a moving target. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do, like you're never going to be good enough yeah. for like that. Like that's the, that's the whole game is like, yes. how do we yes. keep, how do we keep people aiming for the next level of impossible perfection? And I'm just like, not trying to like be in a world where that's the norm. No. And I think in the early, cause I've been doing running my own coaching business for about seven years now, six, seven years, I think. And I really bought into without even realizing it, that every month must be bigger and bigger and bigger thing. Every year must be bigger and bigger and bigger. And that would be even though, and this is so like anyone who's a coach or if you teach stuff, this is so normal, even though I would teach differently it had slid into my my way of doing it in a really sneaky like you know I talk a lot about having alternative markers of success and it not all being about the like the quantitative output but it felt different for me because I was the one teaching that stuff so I should still be making more and more money every month you know and it's so it's so sneaky so sneaky and it's impossible the sneakiness of of these cultural norms is like very intentional you know Mm. like it's tell me more about that well and I think you know it's like okay I mean I am not a sociologist and the easier people are to control Mm. right yes the easier it is to like manage large numbers of humans, mm-hmm. right? So if we can predict people's behavior, yeah, then it's easier to control and manage them. Yeah. And so when it comes to these like subtle cues of like, okay, if we can count that, like all women are going to buy the pink razor and are going to like invest in lots of makeup every month. Mm-hmm. And if we can count on them to always want the next best vacuum to keep their home clean. Right. Then mm-hmm. like we can easily keep, we can like keep them doing the thing that helps us move society forward, which is invisible labor. Right. Anyways, I feel like I could go on oh. and on about this. And also I feel like at the same time, I'm not equipped <laughs> for like the right was, person to talk about it. I love that though. I've read before. And again, also not equipped to like talk about it but it'd be worth a google as people are listening people say before as well that hungry people are really easy to like so keeping women hungry because they're constantly dieting hungry people are easier to manipulate because they're less resourced and I thought that was a real like oh bloody hell having spent my whole teenage years being so hungry I was faint that I would go to sleep early because I was like if I don't go to sleep I'll eat like all of that stuff it was a real like it's such a gut punch to realize how how kind of purposeful some of it is. I don't think it's like anyone's going, oh, keep them hungry, but they're like literally, but it's just yeah, it's shocking. So before yeah. before we wrap up, I did want to ask, like, what would be your top tips 
for writing content that really because I love my very favorite thing in the world and I would say I aim for this with every post and I don't make it nearly with every post but I want my post to deliver a loving gut punch to people (laughs) I love you know that feeling where you read something you go oh like that but in a good way not in a like oh that hurts like in a like oh my god that's so true that's so honest that's so like that that it fits like a good it's one of my favorite emotions uh, when I read Mm. it from someone else so what would you say like how can people write like or even like move towards or start to write content that truly connects with their absolute dream people to work with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a great question I will say that like I I do get that like loving and like maybe slightly uncomfortable gut punch from your content so (laughs) you're doing a great job yeah so I would say there are like two things that I like really really want to center in this and the first is to like be really fucking curious am I allowed to swear oh yes (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> Be really fucking curious about your best fit client. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. know their favorite TV. Like, understand like their t- favorite TV shows or the type of humor that makes them. Um, not because not so that you can like become that, but mm. just so that you like understand them. Like, know mm. their favorite TV show. Know what their dreams are. Know what their the kind of world that they want to live in. Get really, really, really curious. Mm. about your best fit client and like what they need to achieve all their goals and to yeah. live a life and have a business and do the things that they want to do. Mm. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece is kind of like this, it's like a, a, a willingness to say a really hard thing, like a yeah. willingness to like yeah. piss some people oh, off. Yeah. Yeah. A willingness to, and I think you actually just, I just saw a post from, I did, I did a reel on it today. Yeah. 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 Like a willingness to actually repel people and Simone soul. I don't Mm. know if you're familiar with her work. She talks about joyful marketing. And one of the things that she said, which kind of led me to this, like be willing to say the hard thing is to take an emotional risk. Yes. I had read her. I listened to something. She said that recently. Yeah. 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 And like, and like just asking this question of like, does this feel risky to me? Mm. Like, not risky in the sense that like my nervous system is blown out and that I'm like, you know, shaking to push send, but mm. like, does it make me just like a little like, oh God, yeah. send on this, right? Like, really t- be willing to like say something worth something. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think it's so easy to get caught up in like the, like, you know, hot take quotes. And sometimes those are valuable, right? It's so easy to get caught up in like the just loop of the way that we create content. And I will say like about like once or twice a month, I have a like, I'll like look back at the content I've created for like the last week and be like, Ooh, this is kind of bland. Like, let's like, Mm. let's like pick it up a notch, you know? And so really for me, it's like, get really curious about your people like understand what they want and and mm. what and not like what they want from you but like what they want in the world yeah um and be willing to say the hard thing yeah I think that's so I'm gonna I'm about to do a pricing I'm do a pricing mini course in the next like this by the time this comes out it'll probably already happened but one of the modules is going to be called the elephant in the room and it's going to be about mm. really actually talking about money with your clients like talking about like so if you're running a business that's the sort of business where and I hear this all the time people just don't want to invest in it they don't want to do it talk about it like talk about the thing because no one's talking about it and so if you do you will it will like people a people feel seen because everyone thinks it's just them we all have that feeling of it's just me. There's a whole bit in one of Brené Brown's, but no, it's not Brené Brown book. It's uh, one of Kristen Neff's books all about the fact that we all think it's just us. <laughs> like it's a whole sociological thing. But I think when you are the person that says the thing that that person thinks only they think, and all that is, is being honest. Like it's not, you don't then have to find this mythical thing. It's like, it's the thing that everyone's thinking, but no one's talking about. And that involves being vulnerable and saying it. And that's my favorite way to create content. Like, and I'm the same, like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, come on, Ray, like, none of that's, none of that's going to do that. But I think it's actually something Simone Soul said a while ago, and I can't remember, I think, again, it was probably on her podcast. She was like, I think about 
the most honest, least bullshitty way I could say that thing. And she's like, every time I'm doing a post or writing an email, I'm asking myself, how can I make that more honest and less full of bullshit? Like, what's the most direct way I can say it? And I know that different people have different ways of doing that because some people are, I am very direct. Am I direct? No, I am very, I was going to say, like all my friends would be listening to this going, yes, you are. Um, I am very direct in how I speak. So I know that that is me showing up as me. And there'll be, there'll be other ways that that can be done. But I think it is such an effective way to speak to your ideal person. I love that you said that. Yeah, totally. And I think too, like just one piece I want to add before we wrap up, and I kind of already like touched on this, but I think we really have to, when it comes to creating content, we really have to release the pressure of like that piece of content being the thing that redefines our business that like gets us all the clients. Like I have been creating content online for like a decade. Like I had like, like I've had blogs, I've had like, you know, like Facebook groups. I've been Mm. doing this for years. Mm. And like, I still catch myself feeling like this is the one. This is the one. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's, I'm like, even if it, even if it is the one, it's not the one. No. Right. Like, it's got to be another even one. If, even if that reel, if like 10 people reach out to me because of that reel, chances are at least half of them have been like watching me for a while. Yes. 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 You know, like it's like the, I say, I tell my clients all the time that like half of my clients were lurkers. Yeah. Half of the people who were, who like are, I work with right now. I had no idea who they were before they said yes to working with me yeah. and they had been watching me for years. Yeah. Someone's just, I had an so, email come up. Someone's just bought from me today. I've got no idea who they are. They've just paid 500 pounds for something. No idea. No idea who they are. Yeah. <laughs> I might, I might check in a minute and they'll be like, I can't believe right. You didn't know who I was. Like we've worked together before, <laughs> but, <I'm, laughs> but like it happens all the time. The majority of the people who buy uh, like and and that's one of the reasons one of the things I got from TikTok was noticing how and this I've been doing this on Instagram and I'm really enjoying it it's how I used to run my Facebook group is posting more frequently so I'm actually worrying less about the quality of the thing and posting oh, yeah. out more frequently so I'm posting three times a day and I don't say that so everyone's like oh my god so we have to do three times a day now that's not what I'm saying it's very like when I run a Facebook group it would just be an off-the-cuff thought and off the like let totally. me just do this let me just do that and I'm just doing that more on Instagram now and I'm really enjoying it. it's how people do TikTok it's how people used to do Facebook groups Instagram was always this much more like curated perfect place and I wonder if that's part of the shift that we're seeing at the moment I think I think definitely and a lot of the folks that I follow on like who are like about Instagram growth hmm. they are all preaching quantity over quality yeah and I think that like I agree with that I used to be quality all the time. I actually just created a post yesterday and I shared it in a friend's Facebook group and I'll probably share it publicly today. But by the time this is out in the world, it'll have already like been forgotten in social media land. But this, I I used to, and I know we're like coming up on time. So I want to like respect that. But I used to do this thing where I would spend like two hours Mm. writing a post. Yeah. And then I would be like so tired from writing it that I would need to take a break. So then the next day I would come back and I would edit it for an hour. Yeah, And then I would post it and there would be so much energy behind the post. Oh, and then if it doesn't do exactly the thing you want it to do, yeah. then it is exhausting. And you're in a, two, yeah. I'm in a two week spiral of like mm. my content is shit. Mm. And then I don't post. And it's yeah. like, I still think bringing value is incredibly important. Like that's how we connect with our best yeah. clients is by actually delivering value. But like, it just needs to be like one little piece of value. We don't have to like give them the whole dowry yeah. every single time. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Um, nice. So I have a few quick fire questions that I always ask at the end of an episode. The first one is finish this sentence. Money is. A resource that allows us to do the things that we want to do in the world. I love that. The next question is what can you um, mention any good books you've read lately? Like it can be a business book or a fiction book. It can be a, be a recipe book. It can be anything. Mm. Mm, awesome. I love this question. I am like a notorious read the first half of the book and then like another one. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
right now I'm reading, uh, I think it's called flour, water, and salt. It's like a bread making book. I have like a a non-business goal this year to bake 50 loaves of bread. So that's one it's by Ken Forkish and it's just really beautiful, like bread philosophy. Oh, wow. Fabulous. And then I also like just kind of want to give a shout out. Let's see, do I have it here? Yeah. Pa- the patriarchy stress disorder is really eye opening for me. There is some like diet talk in it that I don't love. And there's some like, yeah, there's like a little bit of, yeah, some stuff that I don't love mm-hmm. about it. But it's very interesting to think about like, yeah, the sort of tra- traumatic impact of living in a patriarchal society. Yeah. Um, so the author is Valerie Rain. Oh, I'll have to look that up. But have you read Burnout? That's one I recommend on the podcast all the time by Amelia Ooh, and oh my god. Amelia. Oh, Burnout. Burnout, yeah. Burnout, yeah. yeah. It's so, on it's on my list. It's on my it's list. So again. good. That's yeah. a similar thing. And it's one of the only like clearly self-developmenty type books that I've read that's not obviously feminist from the start, that that it takes such a more like wide angle lens on it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Very much recommend that. I think in a I similar actually have it. I think I have I mean, it in my Audible already. <laughs> all of these books at the top are ones I've not read, like all of that shelf. So it's fine. And then my last question is, if you could eat one item of food or dish for the rest of your life, just one, I wish you could all see Lauren's face. <laughs> Her oh eyes went so God. big. Yeah. What would you pick? Oh it could, my God. What? It could be I'm like... like a region of food I'm such a foodie so like y'all have to know this is funny <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating on my children to say like to pick one food but like honestly <laughs> I have to say like either can I can I say two can I yeah, go for it it's too hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> it would either be like Indian food yes just like Indian food yes or mashed potatoes oh god mashed potatoes that's a very yeah. British answer I have to say, Indian food <laughs> and mashed potatoes is a very British it thing. Is, to but it say. is very British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I grew up on both, so I couldn't I couldn't imagine a life without either. Like Indian food is, oh, it's one of the greatest things. I mean, is. just food. I go, I literally, and everyone who listens to the podcast hears me say this all the time, but I literally go, it's Indian food. No, it's Mexican food. No, it's Japanese food. <laughs> like I just, I know. And, and so I know. Race, those are whole countries. That's not picking one yeah. food. And I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. It's not that I think there's only like sushi from Japan. I know it's all the food. I just can't. I can't do what I ask people to do on the podcast. Food is like my true love. Oh like, yeah. In this world. Like I, when we travel, when we do anything, it's always just like, okay, what are we having for our next meal? Yeah. And where are we going? Food is literally why me and my husband are together in nearly every way. And in fact, and I want to say that this was before I knew all I know now about diet culture and stuff. When um, we first got together, we were going up the, some, this bit of the story doesn't matter. We're going up some escalators. And he, he's, he, I was like, oh, I need to go on a diet. I need to go on a diet, which is a very common thing for me to say at the time. And he's like, I want us to eat some cheese. And I was like, well, I can eat the cheese or I can get fat. And he was like, please oh, I was I was like I, I, can't, I can't remember the way I said it basically he was like please eat the cheese and get fat I don't care just eat the cheese and I was like please oh my god I'm cheese. gonna marry you I am going to marry yeah. you <laughs> yes. oh my god um that. <laughs> well, yeah that was before I was doing my own work around diet culture thank you so Holy much god. for being here this morning for you this evening for me could you tell everybody where they can find you and what you've got what work you've got coming up as yeah. well Totally. So you can find me on Instagram. It's at lauren.elizabeth.coaching. Come on to my website, laurenelizabethcoaching.com. I mostly am hanging out on Instagram these days, but I do have a private off Facebook free community for feminist business owners mm-hmm. at feministbusinessnetwork.com. And it's just like a slow growing space over there. I've got some plans for it later this year, but join me and be one of the founding members there. And then I'm I'm not sure what time this will be coming out, but I do have some fun, like I'm working on a little micro mastermind of like a really small group for feminist business coaches or for feminist coaches Mm -hmm. who want to grow their business. And I'll probably be enrolling for my 12 month feminist business math, like mentorship later this year. So there's always ways to work with me, like wanting. Yeah, definitely cool well thank you so much for being here um and thank thank you (laughs) thank you everybody for listening 